We'll find Genesis 39 tonight. Genesis 39 as we march right along in our series there. Genesis 39. We are going to be looking tonight at the subject matter. Joseph meets Mrs. Weinstein. Verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by until uh, by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. 
and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Two years ago, a firestorm was touched off in the media when it was announced that Harvey Weinstein was sexually harassing and raping women with the promise in return of helping them to advance their Hollywood careers. We saw the whole Me Too movement grow out of that with people for the first time reporting sexual harassment claims dating back even decades in some cases. Well, tonight we're going to see the Me Too movement in reverse. Mrs. Potiphar, or Mrs. Weinstein, if you will, set her sights on Joseph, and she was quite determined to have him as her own. Genesis 39 picks up right where Genesis 37 left off. Genesis 38, of course, is sandwiched in between the two, and what's one of the purposes of Genesis 38? Anybody have a guess? One of the purposes of chapter 38? Okay. There's one thing. What's one of the main reasons for chapter 38, though? The contrast between Joseph and his brother Judah. Judah, remember, propositions a prostitute who turns out to be who? His daughter-in-law. Joseph, even while alone in a house with Mrs. Potiphar, flees from the situation. And so quite a contrast is being set up between Joseph on the one hand and his brothers on the other. Well, right off the bat here we see we see what kind of man Joseph was. But something else is being pointed out here. And that something is the providence of God. Now to me, the providence of God is one of the most reassuring doctrines in the Bible directed at Christians. Some are threatened by it. They choose to promote human freedom. But folks, we know that since the fall in Genesis 3, human freedom is affected. Man may be free to make certain decisions, but that freedom is tainted by the fall. And so man's freedom is going to take him in the wrong direction. There is a bondage of the human will to sin. How much better it is to emphasize the providence of God. God's perfect. 
And God's wisdom and ways are always perfect. God never makes a mistake in anything he does. And God never leads one of his children in the wrong direction. You may have heard in recent years or recent decades, uh, one, of the new, one of the newest theological movements, which is nothing short of heresy, uh, open theism. Has anybody heard about open theism? With writers like Clark Pinnock and Greg Boyd and others. You know what open theism teaches? Open theism says God doesn't know tomorrow. Things that happen in the course of a day are just as big a surprise to God as they are to us. When something bad happens, God had no idea it was going to happen. Sometimes they go on to say God has to change his mind. God has to make a course correction. He was going in the wrong direction and he, and he, and he repented. He made a course uh, correction. Folks, there is so much biblically and theologically wrong with open theism. I, I won't even take time tonight to discuss such a heresy. But you ought to go online and read some about it. It's, it's astounding some of the things they teach. What I want you to see is that even from the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we are being taught the providence of God. And the providence of God is going to be very important, very pivotal, very foundational in the rest of the Bible. And that's one of the main things in the first book of the Bible. Right up front, God is wanting us to understand this theme of His sovereignty, His providence, and how that works out in the lives of His children. Things are not coincidence. Things are not accident. What we'll see tonight is God's providential watch care over Joseph, even in the midst of Joseph's most trying circumstances. First of all, if you take your notes, I want you to write down tonight Joseph's plight. Joseph's plight. Verse 1 again says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now, verse 1 obviously reminds us of where Joseph is now. Joseph is in Egypt. His brothers were going to kill him, but they decided to sell him to that band of Midianites instead. And so that band of Midianites, the Ishmaelites being a subcategory of those, brought him down to Egypt. And when in Egypt, we're told that Potiphar bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites. Now, I think the note at the bottom of the page of the Life Application Bible, if you have the Life Application Bible... Uh, I would direct your attention down to the notes at the bottom of the page. I think it's very important what that note says. 
It says, ancient Egypt was a land of great contrast. People were either rich beyond measure or poverty stricken. There wasn't much middle ground. Joseph found himself serving Potiphar, an extremely rich officer in Pharaoh's service. Rich families like Potiphar's had elaborate homes, two or three stories tall, with beautiful gardens and balconies. They enjoyed live entertainment at home as they chose delicious fruit from expensive bowls. They surrounded themselves with alabaster vases, paintings, beautiful rugs, and hand-carved chairs. Dinner was served on golden tableware, and the rooms were lighted with gold lampstands. Servants like Joseph worked on the first floor while the family occupied the upper stories. That's the type of home that Joseph is in now, the type of home that he's a servant in. Now, folks, I want you to see something here. The providence of God in a person's life does not mean that a person is spared hardship. Because after all, what is Joseph? What is he in this story? He's a slave. Exactly. He's been sold into slavery. And so the providence of God in a person's life does not mean that a person is spared hardship. Joseph is separated from his parents, from his brothers, and he's in a foreign land now, and he's a slave in that foreign land. And yet God is writing the initial chapters in Joseph's life that are going to end up in amazing ways. I want you to remember that God had told Abraham many years earlier that Abraham's descendants would end up in a foreign land as slaves themselves for 400 years, and then after 400 years, God would deliver them. How do Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt? Well, we're being shown. Through Joseph's captivity and how God uses Joseph in Egypt, all of the descendants of Israel are going to wind up in Egypt. And so you see, God is writing a story here that from man's eyes, man wouldn't have even seen the outcome of it yet. But that's the kind of providential God he is. History is his story. But again, what I want you to understand, God doesn't simply use good things in our lives. He uses bad things. He uses painful things. He uses all things. Christians are not spared troubles. But we are to respond to troubles differently. And wherever we end up, what are we to be? We're to be salt and light. And that's definitely how Joseph was. Well, secondly tonight, I want you to see God's hand on Joseph. 
And I won't read it again because it's the major block in chapter 39 from verse 2 all the way down through verse 18. God's hand on Joseph. We are immediately told how God was with Joseph. In fact, in this chapter, the covenant-keeping name for God, which is what? Yahweh. The covenant-keeping name for God is used eight times in this chapter with four of those times saying that Yahweh was with Joseph. It may have seemed dark to Joseph, but we're being told that Joseph was not out of God's care and the special name for God in relation to his people is what's being used here in this chapter. Verse 2 tells us that God was with him and that because of that, Joseph was successful. You see, folks, it wasn't it just, just simply that, that Joseph was smarter than everybody else. It wasn't that he was smarter than everybody else or stronger than everybody else or more shrewd or, or courageous than everybody else. It, it, it wasn't that. It's that God was with him. God was with Joseph and God's hand of favor was on Joseph. Folks, that was the whole key to Joseph's life. And that was the whole key to Joseph's success. We're told that this was even evident to Potiphar. Potiphar wasn't a dummy. He saw that God was with Joseph and blessed everything that Joseph did. Because of this, Joseph became his personal servant and Potiphar ends up putting his entire household into Joseph's care. Right away, we're told the results of this. What was the result? God began blessing Potiphar's household. His house and his fields. With Joseph in charge, Potiphar didn't have to worry about a single thing. Potiphar could sail his sailboat yacht down the Nile River and drink coconut smoothies all day long. With Joseph in charge, Potiphar had it made. Now, the end of verse 6 serves to warn us that everything is not going to turn out well for Joseph. We're told that Joseph was handsome in both form and appearance. It must have been in his genes because if you'll remember back in Genesis 29, what was Joseph's mother's name? Rachel. You remember the stories of Rachel and Leah? And what was said of Rachel that she was beautiful in both form and appearance. 
That double description of being beautiful in form and appearance are only said of Rachel and Joseph in the Bible. That's the only two that that phrase is used of. And so Joseph must have got good genes from his mama. Potiphar's wife takes a personal liking to Joseph. She wants Joseph for herself and she makes no bones about it what she's after. She's bold. She's forward. She tells him right up front she wants to sleep with him. And she's persistent in that. Every time she has the opportunity to speak with Joseph privately, she lets Joseph know what she wants. Now, notice Joseph's response. He doesn't say, Mrs. Potiphar, this could end up hurting you and hurting me or hurting Potiphar. What's he say instead? This would be wrong. This would be a sin against God. And it wouldn't honor God. Now that right there tells you something about Joseph, doesn't it? It's not that Joseph is just a good, good man in the eyes of men. He's a godly man. He's a godly young man and he's a young man of integrity. Notice something else here too. He says this one thing Potiphar has withheld from me does that make you think of anything else in the Bible the Garden of Eden where there was only one thing that God had withheld from them to eat of the tree of life or to eat of the tree of good and knowledge that is that's the only thing God had withheld from them and what, what Adam and Eve do they ignored that and took of it anyway. But here Joseph says, Mrs. Potiphar, you're the only thing in Potiphar's entire household that he has kept from me, and he's done so because you're his wife. Joseph is faced with this one thing, and Joseph stands strong, and he obeys God. I want you to notice from verse 10 how persistent Potiphar's wife is. Look at verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. And then look at verse 11. We're being told what's going to end up being trouble for Joseph. One day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she called him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now, some might argue that he should not have been in the house alone with her. But I want you to remember something. He is a household servant. He may not have had a choice. Also, he might not have even known initially that nobody else was in the house. Additionally, 
maybe she has set this whole thing up. Maybe unknown to Joseph, she had dismissed all the other servants to get them out of the house so it would just be her and him. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, this time she doesn't just stop with words. She grabs Joseph by his garment and demands that he sleep with her. And what's Joseph do? He runs. This might be the passage that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had in mind in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, when he tells young Timothy, flee youthful lust. Well, now... Potiphar's wife has a problem. I want to suggest something here. On the surface, you might be thinking, well, if, if Joseph is a servant in the household and, and he has left behind his outer garment, no big deal. Maybe he just got warm and took it off. But I don't think that's what we're being told. In all probability, the garment that he had on, the, the robe was all of his clothing. When she ripped it off, Joseph was probably naked running out of the house and the other servants outside would have seen this. And so with a naked man running out of her house, she had to make up something fast. As Lisa has said, she's quite the schemer. For a woman to be caught in adultery as the aggressor, would have been deadly for her. And so she's, she's trying to save her own skin, even if it means Joseph's downfall. There's an old saying that showed up in Shakespeare and other places that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And Joseph is going to learn that the hard way. Well, the third thing I want you to see here. Joseph's punishment and God's answer. Joseph's punishment and God's answer. Verses 19 to 23. When, when Potiphar hears what his wife has to say, what's his response? He's angry. He's furious. He throws Joseph in prison. Now, folks, keep in mind, ancient prisons were not like prisons today. Ancient prisons were brutal places. And there was no such thing as human rights in ancient prisons. And you were guilty until proven innocent instead of the other way around. And you had no expectation of a speedy trial. And so oftentimes, people simply rotted away in a prison, an ancient prison, for the rest of their life, and their case never even went to trial. Now, this is so incredibly wrong from a human standpoint of view what's happening to Joseph. But once again, we're being told something. God's
favor shines brightly on Joseph. And the man who's in charge of the prison could see this. And so we have a repeat of what we were told earlier about Joseph. The man in charge of the prisoners puts Joseph in charge of everything and he goes and buys himself a sailboat yacht and he drinks coconut smoothies and sails down the Nile River too. Now, God has Joseph right where he wants him. You say, Scott, are you saying that God has orchestrated all of this? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. God gets Joseph exactly where he wants him. In prison, Joseph is going to meet a couple of fellas who are servants of none other than Pharaoh himself. Not just Potiphar, but Pharaoh. Joseph will end up interpreting their dreams accurately and then Pharaoh will have a troubling dream and Joseph will be called out of prison to meet with Pharaoh and interpret that dream and we know the result of that. Pharaoh will end up promoting Joseph as the lead man, the prime minister of all of Egypt. Folks, God is writing this script. It shows us something. God doesn't put His children in a protective bubble where He keeps them away from any hardship or trials. Life is messy. And God puts His children right in the middle of the mess. And remember, there's coming a day in the Bible narrative that God is going to put His own Son right in the middle of the mess. For now, I want you to, to see that Joseph, Joseph was faithful in every place God put him. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He didn't give up. He didn't say, well, this is somebody else's house or this is somebody else's prison. I'm just not going to try to make it any better. No, that wasn't his response at all. Joseph was faithful in the small things and Joseph was faithful in the large things. The fact that Joseph was faithful in the small things would prepare Joseph for when he was prime minister of the land and there would be all kinds of temptations around him and being one of the most powerful men in the land with all these temptations around him, if Joseph was not the right kind of man, he might have succumbed to those temptations. So God has tested him and proved his character in small things. 
The fact that he was faithful in small things ends up preparing him for the big things. No wonder Jesus said later on in the New Testament, he who's faithful in small things will be faithful also in larger things. He who is unfaithful in small things will likewise be unfaithful in the larger things. If God can't trust you with small things, he can't trust you with big things. God uses things, He uses circumstances to test our character, oftentimes to get us ready for a bigger assignment. Now folks, you can't help but notice Joseph's integrity. I mean, it reminds me of somebody else in the Bible. And who would that somebody else be? Right? He gave in. Daniel. Daniel's who I'm thinking of. That Joseph reminds... The two are cut out of the same kind of cloth, right? Because remember about Daniel? Daniel's enemies put everything about his life under a microscope. They were looking to have something to charge Daniel with. And they, they put everything about his life under a microscope and they couldn't find anything. I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? They're looking. They, they've got Daniel's life under a microscope. They're examining everything about him. And still they can't find anything against him. Jesus. Yep. Hated by his brothers. Sold. Betrayed. Yep. So they're definitely cut out of the same cloth. Folks, that's integrity though. When people are looking and looking and looking and looking and looking at every aspect of your life and they can't find anything. That's integrity. Now I want to leave you tonight with four life lessons. Number one, trust God to arrange all the circumstances and details of your life. This does not mean that you're not responsible for your choices. It simply means that your life and the details of your life are not an accident. Let me say all that again. Trust God to arrange all the circumstances and details of your life. And this does not mean that you're not responsible for your choices. It simply means that your life and the details of your life are not an accident. Number two, always take a personal stand in your life with purity and integrity 
even when no one is watching. Always take a personal stand in your life with purity and integrity, even when no one is watching. Sure, but meaning when no, no other person is watching. Number three, be faithful with both your relationships and your assignments in life. God may be preparing you for bigger assignments. Be faithful with both your relationships and your assignments in life. God may be preparing you for bigger assignments. And then lastly, God will reward faithfulness even if men turn away from you or punish you. God will reward faithfulness even if men may turn away from you or punish you. Did you get them? Did you write them? Write them down? You don't have a personal secretary? <laughs> okay any questions comments any observations that maybe you had in the chapter good question uh, right Yeah, he had to make a good show of it whether he believed it or not but I have a feeling uh, because of her character he had probably seen signs of that before in her life <laughs> I think it's very interesting that Joseph is not supportive. I believe that Joseph did not say, well, wait a minute, she seduced me. Like, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we want to provide blame. He just calmly accepted it because I think, you know, he, he was protecting his witness. Yeah. And who else does that remind you of? Remember what she said earlier? When you think of Jesus, he remained silent before his accusers. Hmm. The Lord.
Lord was with him. Yahweh, again, the Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God in the Old Testament. There's other names, but the covenant-keeping God of name, uh, the covenant-keeping name of God with his children is Yahweh. 